Welcome to the Gambling Couch Shows. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson. He's Money Mainville. We've got another Super Bowl matchup prescribed. And it is none other than Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy, just like everyone expected at the beginning of the year. The two best quarterbacks in the NFL. A couple of great Big 12 people. It is. All right. Uh, Kyle. You want to get your your thoughts on Brock Purdy off your chest now, or do you want to save him for a while? I don't really have many thoughts on Brock Purdy. I think Dan Campbell is an absolute doofus who oh, completely choked away a shot to go to the Super Bowl there because he's more intent on proving that he's not afraid to be aggressive than he is intent on winning the football game, and it cost Detroit today. That was one of the biggest meltdowns of all time make it a three possession game with what six minutes left in the third quarter twice or three times he could have kicked the field goal and went for it stupid uh, and then the, 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 this was not very consequential because they were going to lose the game anyway but the third and goal call to run it and force yeah. yourself to use a timeout where if you don't get the onside kick you could still theoretically get the ball back with a stop it's just so bad. Throw the ball to the end zone. Yeah. Atrocious. And to go uh, extra offensive linemen all year long and then not do it in that situation and have three wide receivers on the field and then still run it. Uh, Cyclonier Stan says Brock Purdy is inevitable. We'll see. Uh, some shots at the tea time. Uh, when I have no voice, I, uh, I have to drink the tea. little honey. It's called throat coat. No pause. It's delicious. It's got some echinacea and lemon in there. Uh, it's great. Uh, where are the Guchos? Time for the Guchos. Why are the Guchos? Time for Pat to get his payback on Iowa State. It's time. It's been time since 2016. Uh, and it was inevitable that we were going to have a Texas Tech versus Iowa State matchup because... Roderick Washington and Patrick Mahomes were going against each other and David Montgomery and Brock Purdy were going against each other. So it was, it was inevitable. That was inevitable. 49ers minus two opening line. Smash the chiefs. Really? Oh yeah. The Niners have seven all pros. The chiefs have one and it's their slot corner. Mahomes as the underdog. Take it. Always. Uh, Money, any uh, Chiefs thoughts there or Dan Campbell thoughts? Yeah, I think I agree with most of what Kyle said there. I know the the fourth down bot says that they should have gone for it, but that's why I hate computers. Definitely should have kicked a field goal there. And then we were joking a few weeks back about how I like to just constantly blitz um, when I'm playing Madden. And I really feel like I resonated with Spag just sending a ton of pressure tonight against Lamar. That, that was awesome. Obviously a really good game plan to kind of get them out of their rhythm. That's that's the kind of Madden defense I like to run there. Just in the house. Did the fourth down bot really say to go for it? I think so. That surprised you, Kyle? Yeah, I'm trying to scroll back to see what the like margin was there. Uh, yeah, okay, here it is. Yeah, it says go for it. You win 85% of the time. Field goal attempt 82% of the time. And then, like, the uh, success rate, I guess it says you would 
convert on that 59% of the time. I don't know how customized this is, by the way, to the Lions, or if this is just like a generic. Um, Isn't the field goal success rate higher, though? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that uh, take care of the 3% difference from 85 to 82? I'm not a math guy, but it seems like. Yeah, so it says the field goal attempt 75% success rate, which I would think it would be a lot higher than that. I mean, most kickers in the NFL are over 80, and most of their misses are from 45-plus. I think that was going to be 38-ish. Yep. I have to go back and look. So I don't know how – this is a bot, so I don't know how like tailored it is to the Lions personnel, the 49ers personnel, all that. But it said like if you succeeded at both, like had you gone for it and converted, had you kicked the field goal and converted – 88% chance you win. If you go for it and convert, 84% chance you win if you kick the field goal and it goes through. And your odds to lose the game or to win the game fall to 79% if you go for it and miss, 78% if you kick the field goal and miss. So to me, that one is more like a toss-up than a yeah. clear one way or the other, but well, that's three-possession game against a team that has scored, like, 10 points on you. Yeah. I would make it a three-possession game and see what happens. Like, I think at worst they're, you know, you're looking at overtime. But also, you know, don't let the ball bounce off your face uh, and let them True. catch it for 50 yards. And then don't fumble on the subsequent possession after you don't go for it. Those are also things you could do to have winning plays. For sure. Yeah, that was Brock Purdy's best throw of the night. Went off a Lions player's face mask. Speaking of winning plays, Marquez Valdez-Scantling back. Uh, I don't think he made a catch in the last two weeks. Maybe one oh, He had a good game against the Bills. Oh, that's true. That is he's, true. He's back. But you know who had a great game today? Travis Kelsey. And uh, I think we can successfully say that Taylor Swift is not Yoko Ono, regardless of what happens in the Super Bowl. Yeah, agreed. Travis Kelsey and Mahomes now number one tandem all time in playoff touchdown yep. passes and catches. Travis Kelsey passing Jerry Rice in yards. Set the record for touchdown receptions in an AFC or NFC title game for a career. So he's first ballot Hall of Fame and probably the best tight end of all time. Maybe still Gronk. I mean, you pass Gronk in playoff success. Um with another Super Bowl, I think you pass – how many Super Bowls did Gronk have? Two? Three? Oh, I guess he won with the Bucks too. Yeah, I think yeah. – uh, Three. I think three. I think he had three. Was he there for their first one in, like, the second run that Brady had with the Pats? Was that 14? Oh, maybe he just had two. One with the Pats, one with the Bucks. I'll have oh, to. I can't remember. Uh, we have seen a lot of costly fumbles inside the one stretching out to score recently, right? Yeah, that seems like a thing that's gone back forever. Uh, Taylor Swift's Super Bowl is so gross. Why? I just don't get it. Uh, Gronk has four Super Bowls. Shout out to Big Hen for the, the, the thought there, the research. Uh, all right, that's enough Super Bowl talk. We're not an NFL podcast. Uh, though I will say, Patrick Mahomes... Uh, unrivaled in the AFC. And if he beats Brock Purdy, unrivaled in the NFL, uh, he would have beaten Shanahan twice and really 
cemented himself as one of, if not the greatest of all time, in year seven. Okay. Uh, Oklahoma this weekend in Norman was hell of a game. Money. How did Texas Tech win that? Because I thought, I wish I would have timestamped this. I think when you went down six or seven, somebody texted me, uh, not looking good. And I said, you're on the verge of absolutely giving this away. And that's when the comeback started. Uh, How did that happen? Because it did not seem likely to me there at the end. Yeah, well, I think largely it was Chance McMillan keeping you in the game um, for the majority of those 40 minutes. And then down the stretch, Texas Tech just absolutely executed perfectly to a T, made all of their last six shots. A lot of them were very intentional set plays. I want to go back and, and do some film review on that because I think that's kind of an area that may have kind of gotten buried in just the the emotions and the swings that that game had. But, man, something that's really continued to stand out to me about this staff is just set plays. It's something that Texas Tech was not good at the past two administrations. They got killed by coaches like Bill Self and Scott Drew in end-of-game situations because those coaches could draw something up. And uh, the guys you had on your bench didn't really have that going for you. And so... I think those last six possessions where you made a shot, you didn't turn it over in the last nine minutes of the game, which is incredible. Um, I I think that was huge. And huge credit, obviously, to the staff for kind of drawing some plays up that got their guys open. And then I thought Warren Washington had some really, really good passes down the stretch. Pop Isaacs getting two good looks at the rim. Um, But just an incredible, credible finish for this team to, to end as efficiently as they did in a game where... They were getting beat up pretty bad. Um, couldn't really always get the shot that they wanted around the rim. But those closing minutes were were Texas Tech's. That's that's just flat out how it played out. You said something there. The the last two regimes have not been good at set plays. I, I want to think back to the Tubby era. I guess you did a little more back to the basket stuff working for. Norian, uh, Norrance and the big guys you had, a little more set plays, Keenan Allen, um, more action up top. I guess you did that well with Tubby. Uh, but it just seems so brand new this year <laughs> because it's been so long that you've had a real offense and not just, hey, uh, our players make plays. We trust the plays that our players make, and they're just going to go out there and do things. To be so good at the end of games – and I want to say this is, you know, not uh, not a fluke now because you've you've had some some thoughts here. Kyle's posted the graphic of you know seven percent chance to win, eight percent chance to win, seventeen percent chance to win. You've come back and won all of them. Um, how special is that? And is that Coach Gas coaching, or is that a special roster you have brewing here? Yeah, I think it's both. I mean, obviously, you've got to have the the players to execute in those moments. But even outside of end of game situations, like Kerwin Walton has found himself wide open in the corner in a couple of baseline out of bounds situations. You've had some really good slip screens with Pop Isaacs and Warren Washington that have led to some wide open alley oops after you know sideline out of bounds plays. And so I think obviously you've got to have the the personnel to execute on it, but it's it's very intentional. It doesn't ever feel like you're just trying to inbound the ball 
whenever you're in a favorable situation, you're trying to get points. And I think this staff has created some really good plays. And I would imagine I don't I don't have like the data and the research to comb through all of these games, but a lot of them feel similar. And it's just like you've got a couple of plays in your pocket that you know that your guys can run, you know, they can execute and they're just going to keep going back to that. Uh, Cycloneer Stan says Iowa State, Texas Tech, Big 12 Championship. They beat Kansas this week. Um, frauds. Are Kansas is frauds? Oh, yeah. I think so, too. I was I was trying to get there. Uh, I'll say this as well. Uh, the tears that we've been trying to say for the last two weeks, I, I don't know, blown up this weekend. <laughs> I just... I, I would no, I would no longer just slate Kansas at the top just because they're Kansas. Baylor, are they? Are they not? TCU, I think, has maybe solidified themselves as a top-tier Big 12 team. I think Texas Tech, hard to argue now that you've beaten Oklahoma. Uh, maybe you put TCU and Texas Tech as a uh, play-in game for the top tier this week. Do you have any you know, ironed out tiers that are coming together for you yet? Because the Big 12 has been so wild. Yeah, I think Houston is still the best team in the conference, despite their record. Analytically, they are just blowing it up. They have one of the best defenses in the Kim Palm era, um, just playing on a per-possession basis a lot better than almost anybody else in the country. And so I think they've got to be slated first for me right now. But then... Outside of that, like the race for a second is wide open. I think Texas Tech, obviously with their record and the way that they've played in conference play, especially offensively, I think they deserve to kind of be in that tier B area. Iowa State, I've loved their team throughout this season. I think they're going to be really, really good and continue to be really good. TCU keeps finding ways to win games, and so I think they belong there. Baylor has lost three straight on buzzer beaters. So they're playing close games, but just not getting it done down the stretch. It, it's just so muddy in that area underneath, you know, Houston, who I think is, is probably the best team in the country right now. Kyle, what are your thoughts on uh, the chance McMillan game and how, what Texas Tech did this weekend? Starting to wonder if Evan Mayo is going to have to adjust his algorithm. And we talked about this maybe a week ago on our coincidence or not segment, but you just keep winning these games. I'm not going to say I knew all along that we would win, but in the first half when OU officially reached their 10-0 kill shot run threshold, I did say in the discord, I said, there's a kill shot that rarely actually kills us. And it looked bleak in the second half for a little while there. But Chance McMillan, uh, we talked about that with Pop's career day two games ago, kind of picking up the slack for Joe Toussaint. Chance McMillan, not to be outdone by either of the other two primary guards, kind of has his own game um, in that same vein in terms of being a career day. So I feel – I don't feel good about this team's overall depth because you still only have like seven guys that get a lot of minutes. But among the guards, it seems like you can afford a little bit of margin for error and one of them can have a bad night. And as long as – the other two are playing solid or one of them is playing out of his mind, which one out of three playing out of their mind seems to have pretty good odds at this point. You can still be in a lot of games. A lot is still being asked of Warren Washington. He's kind of been extremely steady, almost 
taken for granted at this point how good he's been and how we don't have a second player on the roster who can duplicate what he does. And so that's the unfortunate part is when he is having a night where like, okay, I just don't have it right now. We don't have a chance McMillan or a Pop Isaacs that plays his position who can just go in there and fix it. So that kind of worries me long-term, but right now I'm just sort of enjoying it. Five and one is way better. I mean, we were looking at the first stretch thinking three and four was like, hey, survive these seven games, get to three and four, and you've still got something to play for down the stretch. Then we broke up this current stretch of four games starting at Houston, and it was like, hey, just don't go on four, like win one of these. Either hold serve at home against BYU or steal one on the road. Check, check. Now we're getting greedy looking at there's a you're not going to be favored, but there's a winnable game in Fort Worth to go three out of four in what looked like a really nasty stretch. So we, we I remember talking about this even before Big 12 play started with Texas and how you could buy yourself some margin for error. If nine and nine was the mark to make the NCAA tournament, how much good you could do for yourself. I think we were talking in like the first three game stretch there. Starting five and one out of the gates, given some of the teams you've played already, not that the schedule gets a whole lot easier in Big 12 play. It just remains a meat grinder. But, I mean, four and eight right now, as deflating and disappointing as that would be to the finish line, but still probably get you into the NCAA tournament. And I think if you ask anybody four and eight or roll the dice, everybody's rolling dice because they think this team can still do a lot better than that. And even just hold and serve at home, you would do way better than four and eight. And that's if you don't win another road game. So incredibly great start. We're a third of the way through the Big 12 schedule. I think it's exceeded anybody and everybody's expectations. You've got some very real, tangible goals that would make this a successful season all out there in front of you. So it's it's, it's fun to see this team come together. And uh, Chance McMillan, I don't want to call this like a ragtag bunch because I, I feel like that undersells them, but this was not some loaded roster that, some dream team roster that like, you know, we had all this time to put together and had this huge NIL budget to go get all the best guys out of the portal. Like we just kind of threw together what we could after the NIT. It's like looking in the pantry going, okay, here's the ingredients we have. And then absolutely going to work in the kitchen and gas is cooking. Uh, somebody asking about chance of getting a start now. I, I, I mean, over, over uh, Curran Walton. I think it's interchangeable, but I mean, I think being a starter is overrated. Uh, it's starter minutes, and he played starter minutes certainly in the game. And if you start Kerwin Walton and he's hot, you you keep him in and play those minutes. And if he's not, you play Chance McMillan. And if he's not, you play Lamar Washington, and you just kind of keep going until you find the guy. Um, you're nodding there, money. I guess you agree, but. I did want to ask this too. Somebody mentioned the free throw percentage, making 85 free throws or 85% from free throw land uh, is good. Is is that maybe the the easiest statistical difference between last year and this year is just making your free throws? Is it, is it as simple as saying that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a huge edge. Obviously, it's been a handicap for tech for years now is just not making free throws, especially down the stretch. Um, and it it's one thing that I think a lot of people overlook, but it gets practiced a lot depending on who your coach is. So like certain coaches will have certain routines, like 
you get out of the weight room on a on a lifting day and you immediately go shoot free throws like you're gassed you have no more energy left in the tank you just did weights and then you go and get on the free throw line and make you know nine out of ten or else you're running now i don't know what mccasland is doing specifically to to kind of generate this kind of efficiency but it's a huge asset to have and tech has now won at least two one point games in big 12 play um and largely a lot of that comes down to can you make your free throws especially when it matters most and this team is doing that but outside of free throws obviously like not the sexiest thing to talk about it's a dirty work it's a great thing to have but right now in conference play texas tech first in offensive efficiency in kim palm first in turnover rate so they're not turning the ball over they're keeping the ball first in three point percentage and first in free throw percentage so they're shooting the ball extremely well across the board even considering you know this is a team that doesn't have a lot of size inside to kind of collapse the defense and draw them in and and get those easy shots a lot of what you're doing is because you've got shooters on this team and what you're generating out of the pick and roll with your ball handlers and so i think offensively to have that free throw shooting complement what you're doing from the three-point line and generally just across the floor offensively it's a huge huge boost to this team that just keeps finding ways uh into close games speaking of uh close games plenty of them in the big 12 uh we can continue to talk about this texas tech oklahoma game if we want to but i did want to hop around the big 12 a little bit and discuss uh, two, um, I don't know, rivalries. We'll talk about Farmageddon in a second. Just real quickly, though, I want to touch on BYU. Lots of people hammering Texas this week because um, BYU made the BYU students take off their horns down shirts. That's all on BYU. BYU's administration, front office, whatever you want to call it, made that decision to to take the BYU students out of their t-shirts. Uh, I want to harken back to when I was in college one time. Uh, our rival at LCU was Wayland Baptist. Okay. I went to a Wayland Baptist game and got tossed from the gym. Uh, unfortunate situation. I did not cross the line. I thought uh, their AD thought I did. So he uh, escorted me off the premises uh, about a month later, uh, I don't know, two weeks later, we're playing at LCU basketball. I'm talking my talk from the from the bench area, not the bench area, across from the bench area. And uh, their AD comes up to me and tries to get me to be quiet. And I said, what? You have no authority here. This is not your gym. This is not your area. I, I can do whatever I want here. You want to go talk to the LCU AD and have him come talk to me, you can. Uh, and I think that's what should have happened here. Uh, I don't think the Texas people had any pull at all in this and that BYU did it on their own. They shouldn't have. Keep the shirts on. Make them uncomfortable. Do whatever you want in the stands. I don't care. I just thought that was incredibly soft. Not on Texas' part, but on BYU's part. Yeah, that we know of. Texas didn't complain about it in that instance. Obviously, Rodney Terry complained about it after the UCF game. But the way I view this, there's kind of a, a spectrum of fan behavior 
And on one end, you have stuff that is absolutely over the line in any context. It, you know, yelling abusive things from the stands, uh, you know, kind of trespassing onto the field of play, the court, throwing stuff onto the field or the court that like we can always say that's bad. It can't be tolerated under any context. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where BYU goes into the stands during the third quarter and passes out ice cream to the visitor section. And then there's a lot of room in between. And that's where I do think there's some gray area and some context. Like when I was a student at Texas Tech in the student section, I yelled things that I wouldn't yell now because now I'm next to like elderly people and families and children. And it's a different setting. It's a different context. And I'm a little bit older and wiser, maybe. And there's things that, you know, are you allowed to boo a call? Yeah, I think so. Is that classy? I mean, probably not, but I don't think anybody's offended by that. Can you yell F you at Bob Stoops on the sideline? Maybe that's more offensive. I don't think anyone should be like ejected for that per se. Okay, So there's gray area here. BYU is so intent on being on this far end of the spectrum of like, we're going to give you ice cream if you come to a game in our home stadium, that they were way overly cautious on this. Almost Streisand affected it. Like you called way more attention to those guys with the horns down t-shirts than would have ever been there had you just ignored them and let them stay there all game. And it's just kind of a weird cultural thing at BYU. Like they're going to be overly respectful of opponents. And so even something that doesn't involve a, a swear word or anything that could be conceived as like derogatory or offensive. I mean, horns down is so mild. Of yeah. the things that you could hear in an arena with 18,000 people in it, horns down or the hand sign itself is G-rated. You know, like uh, Jeff Orr got shoved by a player who went into the stands for calling him a piece of crap, which I would I would rate that PG based on things I've heard and, and said in an arena. <laughs> horns down is like, I don't know, Um uh, Mark Pope strikes me as a kind of guy who would like say good morning to his coworker and then go to their cubicle 30 minutes later to be like, Hey, in case I said that wrong, like I wanted you to know I'm not mad at you. And if I had like a tone, I just, I was wishing you could like, that's yeah. how over the top nice it was. And it was so unnecessary. And like I said, just ultimately drew more attention to the horns down shirts than would have otherwise ever happened. And, and I guess, you know, court of public opinion, if you ignore it, Texas doesn't get dragged for a week, but or 24 hours in the news cycle. So maybe it was good that they did that, but I don't know. I just, I took it as BYU being soft, not Texas. I, even if Texas complained, they couldn't have made any real change there. It's BYU's arena there. The students aren't going to do anything. Well, that's what I asked a, a BYU reporter when he said like the shirts have been removed. I was like, you know, why did they comply? If I was wearing a shirt that didn't have anything offensive on it. And somebody said, Hey, you have to change shirts. I'd be like, no, if you really want to like haul me out of the arena for having an R, the letter R on my shirt, as part of a horns down line, then like, sure, make a scene out of it and explain why you're ejecting me for having an R on my T-shirt. I would have just told him, no, I'm not taking the shirt off. Just trade seats. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't say horns down. It says horn downs. <laughs> uh, anyways. Uh, all right, let's move on. Unless you have some thoughts there, money. Did would you would you change your shirt if somebody asked you to from from the Texas contingent? 
I would not. And to even make him more mad, I might just get like the H and the D to flip and be like, okay, it doesn't say horns down anymore. It says Dorn's Hound. Like, what are you going to do? It's not offensive. Exactly. I think I think horns down should always be on the table. If you want to put the beef down, go for it. When I want to put some beef down, I go to Rihino Barbecue and order some brisket, and I'll put down about a half a pound of beef in one sitting at Rihino. Olton, Texas, hit them up online at Rihino BBQ on social. RihinoBBQ.com. You can order ahead to make sure your food is there when you arrive. Texas Monthly Top 50 Barbecue joining the tech in the state of Texas, number one in our hearts. Tell them the gaucho send you. Speaking of the gaucho sending us, uh, Farmageddon, we have a long history of both of these fan bases. I believe we discussed this briefly last week. If not, we've certainly discussed it in the group chat and the uh, Twitter DMs. I guess let's go back to the beginning here. Jerome Tang and Otzelberger coaching in a game against each other. And correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Tang gets a, a penalty early in the game. Or Otz gets a penalty early in the game for going out of the coach's box. I believe it's what happened. Later in the game, Tang responds to something happening on his sideline. And runs down way past his box to tell Coach Otz in the middle of the game. Otz is confused. And Otz is like, what? What is this guy doing? He's way out of his box. Call the penalty on him. Anyways, we get a little mixed up in the game. Then we have reporting that fans were throwing things. And this is from, this is reporters and Kansas State fans saying they were throwing things at our bench, cussing at our bench hurling racist remarks at our bench, pulling out all the stops that a loser team does. And then we get further reporting, maybe two days, day and a half later, that Kansas State was complaining because they thought an Iowa State staffer was taking photos or notes, stealing signs, and texting them to the other coach. If that's the case, in a basketball game, isn't it fairly obvious when you switch to man or zone? Like, is there really a lot you can do by stealing signs in basketball? Maybe if you know a set play, you can be there at the end result and affect the play. But it just seems to me in in the middle of a game, it's like, all right, they're going to open up in a zone here. So maybe you get one possession that kills the zone, but to me, sign stealing is a part of the game. And that that might be controversial. I'm a baseball guy. I didn't care when Jim Harbaugh did it with Michigan and Connor Stallions. And I wouldn't care if Iowa State was doing it in the gym. Now, is it frowned upon? Sure. Am I going to hammer the Houston Astros because they went over the top? Sure. But a little, uh, a little, a little texting during the game wouldn't bother me. And I don't think they did it because you can't have phones on the bench. So... Uh, it is what it is. I feel like we've all passed on. It was a story that happened, but no. Five days later, Kansas State and Iowa State fans are still arguing all over Twitter. Uh, what are your thoughts on this from the initial story to now? Uh, and I guess, Kyle, we're going to take a side here, and I, I'm leaning one way very strongly. 
on who to pick in this this battle. Yeah, we need to choose a side in the Farmageddon beef, keep things interesting. I'm going to rewind things actually a little bit further. Probably know where I'm going with this. I, I'm actually going to rewind things even further than a few weeks ago when Texas Tech beat Kansas State and their fans cried about it for like a week. Really until they had something else to cry about. And I'm tipping my hand a little bit here. During the offseason, when we were talking about how Texas Tech has so much money that we could money whip Jerome Tang if we wanted to, I took the contrarian take and said, I don't want him. He's corny to me. And on the surface, like if you read me his transcript, you go, oh, what a great guy. And I'm sure he is a great guy. But he's so over the top with it, it comes across as corny to me. It's like Tim Tebow at a certain point. It's like, okay, we get it. You're perfect. You're awesome. You're so nice to everybody. You're dancing in the bleachers with the fans. Great. And then he comes to Lubbock. Spends an entire timeout riding one of the refs during a, a timeout under the basket, way off the bench. Doesn't get teed up for it. Team doesn't get teed up for hanging on the rim after a dunk, trying to teabag one of our guys. And then the fans cry for a week until they had something else to cry about. And I'm, I'm going to pay Kansas State a compliment at the end of this, so hang with me, Emaw. And so you fast forward to this situation. It honestly reminded me a lot of being a Texas Tech fan in victory. Anytime you win a game that you weren't supposed to win against Texas or OU or a bowl game or what have you. Uh, Oh, their fans were so mean to us. They threw batteries. They threw a beer bottle, which isn't served in the stadium at my grandma. Uh, I don't have any video evidence of this, even though there are 55,000 iPhones present at the time. Going back, I, I referenced Marcus Smart. Y'all remember that was reported by ESPN that there was a racial slur thrown around. And then Texas Tech releases the audio too late, in my opinion, that very clearly shows there was no racial slur, that he was called a piece of crap, and that was it. So to kind of like throw these allegations out there that, oh, they were cheating, they were recording us, they were throwing stuff on the court, they yelled a racial slur, like, where's the video evidence? If something is thrown onto a field of play in 2024, it there will probably be a video of it or picture of the remnants of it somewhere. So it just reminded me a lot of when Texas Tech beats a team that really doesn't like losing to Texas Tech, the, the usual kind of bingo card of accusations that get thrown out after that. I think Iowa State did a good job of defending themselves in the immediate aftermath, which is something I wish Texas Tech did a little bit more proactively in some of these same situations that, that we've been in. And what Kansas State fans are kind of clinging to, it seems like, well, Jerome Tang technically didn't say any of this. It was only like reported to several mainstream media outlets who then blasted it out to the public. And to me, that's a distinction without a difference. It doesn't matter necessarily that Jerome Tang isn't the one levying the allegations. The allegations were made very public in the court of public opinion. You can't really put the toothpaste back in the tube at that point and say, oh, well, our hands are clean because it wasn't Tang making the allegation. At that point, Otts has every right to respond and should respond to clear things up. He definitively denied all of it. And to me, Iowa State is definitely winning in the court of public opinion on this. Now, the compliment I'll pay Kansas State, and this might seem like a backhanded compliment, I think they've actually had such a great deal of athletic success recently. Winning a Big 12 championship in football, something Iowa State has never done. 
going to the Elite Eight last year in basketball, having a coach like Jerome Tang, who gets a lot of national hype and pub for the job he's done there. I think they feel like they're a superior athletic department to Iowa State, which lends itself to these kinds of accusations when you lose to a team that you feel like you should never lose to. That's why it's predominantly OU fans, Texas fans, A&M fans that have all these crazy tales of batteries and coins and grandma's being sucker punched in the student section that there's no evidence of and actually use the evidence to the contrary. So I think they've got a little bit of that syndrome going on, which is sad to see because that to me is a salt of the earth fan base that we've had many, many good interactions with. I have, I have a Kansas state bowl hat from the nineties, but I think they're a little bit high on their horse, so to speak. They don't like losing to Iowa state in basketball. And to cope with that, they came up with some insane allegations, none of which they've proven. And so I have no problem with the Cyclones saying, hey, none of this is true about our coach, about our fans, about our program. And that's how I wish Texas Tech would respond in some of these, you know, semi-comparable scenarios. Yeah, and when we talked about Texas Tech and Kansas State, we said we don't want this every man a whiner moniker to stick. We don't. We don't want that to be a thing we say in the in the future. But now you're two losses in a row where everything that's gone wrong has not been your fault. And Jerome Tang has been at the center of it. Uh, I go back to when he got on his uh on the scorer's table and was like, hey guys, quit quit saying that. We don't chant that here. Uh I don't know. I, I agree with you, Kyle, that uh, drum tang's a little corny and cheesy, and I'm all in on the Cyclones in this Farmageddon beef current. Do you have your Iowa State hat so you can officially commit like it's National Signing Day? I do somewhere. I'll have to find it. What do you think, Money, in the Farmageddon battle, where are you leaning? Yeah, I haven't seen anything convincing that it actually happened other than a very confusing zoomed out video of what looked like three Iowa state fans, a couple of rows back behind the the Kansas state bench, which told me absolutely nothing. And I think says absolutely nothing. Um, and so I'm definitely leaning Iowa state. I really wish the 24 hour rule would kind of take place. It's been talked about to exhaustion and I, I think it's ridiculous. And I agree with you, Rob. Like, st- sign stealing is a thing that happens in sports. And in fact, it, it, it's really easy in basketball. And the reason it's really easy in basketball is because as a coach, you're screaming the plays to your players most of the time or using some sort of a hand signal to, to draw up the play. And so those things are really easy to pick up on on pretty much any TV copy that you watch of a basketball game. You're seeing more teams this year, at least I have, that are using kind of signal posters like are used in in college basketball um, with certain, you know, symbols or logos that indicate what play should be run. But, yeah, I haven't seen anything convincing that it actually happened. I, I don't know why Iowa State would even risk it, because, quite frankly, it's easy enough to do in a way that is not really forbidden or even illegal. Um, it, it's just easy enough to do it with you know, a regular copy of a game. And so I think the Cyclones have, have every right to be upset and annoyed. Um, I would be too, you know, t- for it happening for 24 hours is something, but 
this is now days on in, and I think for it still to be kind of the biggest talking point around Iowa State basketball right now, at least from an outside perspective, after they just beat Kansas, are in the midst of probably their best season, I would say actually definitely their best season under TJ Otzelberger, I, I think is is a shame. Rob, if, if the Cyclones have been falsely accused here, who can they call to get justice? I don't know if this is a Title IX issue, but I think they could call Barnett, Howard, and Williams. You always do the ad read. I don't. I don't know the spiel. You know it. <laughs> I don't know if they do false accusations of videotaping the other team subtle, but they do 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 do. Uh, they do uh, certified for Title IX student litigation, criminal defense, catastrophic injury, and I bet they would take this case if. Uh, if Otzelberger wants an attorney to to settle this, win is it, some damages. Is it libel or defamation? If it's, I guess, written word could be on Twitter. So you can. I, you can I would go, throw the book. I would go for libel, slander, and defamation. Yeah, there you go. And maybe fraud for Jerome Tang. Oh. Um. <laughs> I won't go there. <laughs> Maybe I'm defaming Jerome Tang right now. But Barnett, Howard, and Williams, BHWLawFirm.com, one of the best law firms in the state of Texas, based in Fort Worth, but they handle cases all across the Lone Star State. They hope you never need them. They hope your college basketball team is never defamed by Kansas State fans on Twitter. But if they are, you have somebody in your corner, Barnett, Howard, and Williams, BHWLawFirm.com. I've got some upsetting news that I just saw on Twitter. The Taylor Swift World Tour culminates in two weeks on Saturday night in Tokyo, Japan. Can she be back in Las Vegas by the time her show ends to get back and be at the game? There are questions being had so far. Yeah, Japan's got to be like 14 hours ahead of Vegas, and you would just fly over the Pacific. I think Europe would be a much bigger problem, but Japan is actually a really good spot. If she's going to be somewhere else in the world and needs to get back before Sunday night, I think she can do it from there. I thought you had to go back across. I don't know. You no, no, we're, well, she'll just keep going east until east becomes west somewhere near like Hawaii. You know what I'm saying? Because like it's all relative. But I thought it was. No. No, she'll go east from Japan, just fly over a bunch of water, and then Vegas is on the west coast. So when east becomes west, she's like right there. Okay. So you're saying in the globe sense. Yeah. Okay. If you subscribe to that model, but even on the flat earth model, I think she can get from Japan to the west coast pretty quickly there. All right. Sarah, Sarah Palin can see Japan from her house in California. Can she? No. In Alaska? Uh, she can see Russia, though. What else do we have before in the extensive pre-show meeting? There was one more thing. Oh, uh, rabbit. Let's uh, hard break. Were there any basketball topics we missed? Graham McCaslin getting national coach of the year buzz. Do we want to talk about that? Let's do that. And let's wrap up Oklahoma too. I, I know we didn't really wrap it up, wrap it up. So final yeah. thoughts from the weekend and Grant McCaslin. Yeah, two quick thoughts. I'll, set, I'll weave them together here. Grant McCaslin, I'm not going to go down the road of national coach of the year talk, but just the fact that he's getting some of that chatter from the talking heads is impressive enough at this point in the season. Long ways to go. 
but he's a good in-game coach. And when OU is starting to build some momentum, get their home crowd, at least what portion of their arena was filled out by the home crowd because there's a lot of the visiting crowd there as well. You know, he called some timeouts in good spots to break up the momentum. Momentum, very important in a, in a game like that. It's a real thing. And so I felt like every time the OU crowd was ready to go nuts and really get into it, we were able to do just enough to keep them out of it. And he just coaches like crazy. And, and, and I know we've said this before. You wish you would just like build a 12-point lead on somebody and then keep it for the final 30 minutes of the game. But if you're not built to do that, the next best thing is if you do fall behind by 7 or 11 and you give up a 15-0 run or a 19-4 run in this situation, that you still have a fighting chance to come back from it. And clearly we do. And ESPN's BPI and Evan Maya don't have that, you know, baked in yet. And they can't. You can't do that with all 300 teams. But clearly this team is tough as nails. I think it starts with the head coach and the belief that you're never out of it. So, like I said, I'm not going to say I'm sitting there all day Saturday, like, oh, yeah, we've, you know, no problems here. We're going to come back and win this. To do it once, maybe lucky. To do it twice, maybe lucky. To do it now four times against good tournament-caliber teams, uh, once on the road now, pretty crazy. So I'm just really impressed six games in, ready to drink the Kool-Aid. Really curious kind of where things go from here on some of that. You know, I, I think we started out with an ambitious but realistic goal, which was if you make the tournament in year one with this roster, like A-plus, check marks all around, nobody would complain about that. And now I'm looking on bracket matrix, and you're like a seven seed, but that, that was before the OU game, and you're behind some teams. That bracket matrix at this point in the season is kind of a, a lagging indicator because – not all the brackets update daily. Like if the season ended today, you might be like a five seed. And, you know, looking at a semi-favorable first round matchup. And if you get through a coin flip type matchup in the round of 32. And that's crazy to me. It's crazy that national writers are throwing out Grant McCasland as like, if you don't have him in the national coach of the year race right now, then you're not paying attention. Still 12 conference games to go, so a long ways out. But if you would have told me this was going to be the state of play as we're about to turn the calendar to February, I would have thought you were crazy. And we, we always do those preseason segments like, would you take this right now? Would you take eight and four? Would you roll the dice? Um, I would have taken, rather than rolling the dice, like two or three rungs below where we're at right now and been totally happy with it. So if you do you know, lose back-to-back Big 12 games, which is – Certainly possible to do in a conference like this. It happens to good teams all the time. I hope we don't lose sight of that perspective and just how impressive we've been out of the gates here. So I'm enjoying it, having a lot of fun. I, my wife would challenge me on that because she watches me watch these Big 12 games and it doesn't look like I'm having fun. And I'm probably not until we you know, come out on top when the clock is all zeros. But it's crazy. It, it's kind of fun. It's it's an adrenaline rush. There's there's nothing like Big 12 basketball. And when you win in this conference, it's just an insane kind of adrenaline rush. I will say I had more fun uh, in the Oklahoma game than I did the game before. Um, for whatever reason. Uh, two things for me as well. 
first thing, national writers cluing into Grant McCaslin helps your AP vote because local writers listen to national writers. So you'll have a few more guys say, oh, wait, maybe I should vote them. If this guy likes them, you know, we're all humans there. Uh, second thing, you went into the bonus in the second half with 10 minutes to go. And you played incredibly disciplined for the final 10 minutes. And that also goes to coaching. I know probably leadership on the floor and otherwise just being good. But that's every time out. Do not foul. We're in the bonus. Do not foul. Uh, play hard. Play aggressive. Keep your edge. But don't make dumb decisions. And you clued it in earlier, Money, with the no turnovers and the made shots. You just played flawless in the last five minutes. Now, I don't know how often you'll do that this year. But, again, four times now. You've played pretty flawless to close games. And it it looks like less of a fluke or a coincidence every single time it happens. Yeah, I don't want to underestimate or undermine the talent of this roster because I certainly think that they've got some dudes. And I think this staff did a really good job at evaluating what was available when they were able to get out on the trail. I thought they did a really good job at retaining what they felt like they needed to retain and addressing areas of concern that were a little bit light, even when, you know, you didn't have as many options as teams that got a head start on you. Um, but the coaching has just been fantastic. And like kind of the elephant in the room is Texas tech is going to lose one of these games at some point, but it's going to be fine. Like if you can win 75% of your close games, you're, you're in a really, really good spot. And I understand the perspective of, you know, hey, I really want to blow somebody out. I really want to win by 20. Man, this league is different. And, and this year, the parity is it, its just crazy. Um, I don't even think you can blow out, you know, a West Virginia or an Oklahoma State. Those are not gimmies. And so to be in these close games feels like a given. It's just how you respond to being in those situations. And right now, Texas Tech, four and one in close games. Only loss coming against Butler in overtime um so pretty pretty huge start and then i thought tech did a really great job at kind of forcing oklahoma to play their game oklahoma very good defensive team that's where they've hung their hat all all year long it's been what they've done best texas tech you know ended the game averaging 107.5 points per 100 possessions the only other big 12 team this year that's averaged over 100 points per 100 possessions against the Sooners was Kansas. And they were at 1.1. So it's it's really not even close. I think your your offense is certainly clicking on almost every level. And if you continue to kind of force teams to play your game, you know, I think a lot of your defensive flaws can be covered up. And I think, you know, maybe that's something we touch on soon. Right now, Texas Tech, 12th in the Big 12 and conference-only defensive efficiency, only ahead of Oklahoma State and West Virginia. And so I think that's certainly a little bit of a concern. But when you're number one in offense and you can find a way to keep winning close games, you're going to be a really good team. And I think this team is certainly on pace to be a very good team. Yes. Hopefully. Uh, in 2019, this is from Reddit College Football. 
No Big 12 quarterback had ever won an NFL playoff game. This is the second consecutive year both Super Bowl quarterbacks are Big 12 alums. That's pretty insane. So, well, if you're going to count Jalen Hurts as an OU quarterback, then you have to count Troy Aikman as an OU quarterback. And so if, that was, if your primary school was at the Big 12. That was prior to the Big 12. That was a Big 8 school. Oh, that's true. That's true. Surely there was a quarterback. I don't know. But, yeah, Mahomes, I think, was the first true Big 12 quarterback to win a playoff well, game. He was. I'm not there. I'm counting Jalen Hurts. Like The majority of your statistical production has to be at the school that you're, quote, unquote, from. Do you know the second Big 12 quarterback that won a playoff game? Let me think. I think this is right. I don't I don't have this locked in, but I think I'm right. Was it Baker? Baker Mayfield. That's who I thought. So two Texas Tech quarterbacks. That's right. Yeah, I, that's crazy. Like Bradford, number one overall pick, never won one. Nope. Vince Young, never won one. Blaine Gabbert. Yeah, I mean, a little different story there. <laughs> uh, Eric Crouch. Wasn't <laughs> he drafted by the Rams as like a receiver in Giant, the Giants, maybe? Fifth round. Man. Well, so yeah, if we, if we if you take realignment into consideration, then the Big Twelve is like we've got Steve Young. Yeah. Um, you know, do we count Colorado's guys? Cordell Stewart, uh, did he ever win a playoff game? I mean, Jake, that was Big Eight, right? Jake Plummer. Jake Plummer. Arizona State. Jake Plummer beat Tom Brady in the playoffs. Can you believe that? No. Do you remember that that is a thing that happened? Like during oh. the peak Patriots dynasty, Jake Plummer beat Tom Brady. No, I do not remember that. That happened. Do y'all do y'all follow Nick Wright on Twitter? No, but he's all over now because of the algorithm and the Chiefs. His Chiefs tweets are funny. Like he is the Babe Ruth call your shot cocky Chiefs fan. Yeah. I'm laughing just like at the first sentence of this tweet. In two weeks, the Chiefs will have completed the best five year stretch in NFL history. And like two weeks ago, when was this? Oh, I guess one week ago, before the Bills game. He said, Mahomes and the Chiefs going from Tua to Allen to Lamar to Purdy to win the Super Bowl is going to be like Mike Tyson's punch out. But if Glass Joe was the end boss instead of Mike Tyson. <laughs> then he quote tweets himself and says, Glass Joe on deck. What an absolutely perfect postseason bracket for my specific agenda. <laughs> like he doesn't head just bets. He's been saying the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. Everybody yeah. else was saying they were dead in the water and like they're one game away. And he's been right. Yeah. Did you see Peter Schrager? No. Before the season kicked off, he said Chiefs Niners. And everyone for the last month has been like, are you changing? Are you changing? He's like, nope. Nope, not changing. It really it is a fascinating matchup because I would probably give the edge to the 49ers at every position except quarterback and corner. Like, they have seven All-Pros, five of them first team, and that doesn't even include Nick Bosa. Yeah. And the Chiefs have one, and it's their slot corner. Like, Mahomes wasn't even second-team All-Pro this year. And so, I mean, he's not – like, if I'm going to not count – or if I'm going to count Nick Bosa to the seven, you should probably throw Mahomes in there. But, I mean, like, overall, the team, I think the Niners are better. I think that's why they're favored. 
they like more guys at more positions that are elite than than the Chiefs. But what's weird about it is because the Chiefs have already won a couple and Mahomes is who he is, the Niners and Brock Purdy, Mr. Relevant, are going to be framed as the underdog when they clearly have top to bottom the better roster. Like nobody's going to treat Mahomes and the Chiefs like David versus Brock Purdy as Goliath, but that's kind of what like the bus that Brock Purdy is driving is Goliath. They are stacked. Yeah. They have Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ike, George Kittle, and Trent Williams, and Kyle Juszczyk, first-team All-Pro fullback, on the field at the same time. It's crazy. Chiefs have the number two defense in the NFL. I, I guess that's what it's going to – I mean, you've got two weeks. kind of reminds me a little bit of McVay, his, not his first year with the Rams, but their first Super Bowl run. You know, breaking all these records. He's seen as this offensive whiz kid. And with two weeks to prepare, Belichick like totally shut him down. And that's sort of what Kyle Shanahan is to me with um, about the same amount of skins on the wall. I guess they've both been to two Super Bowls at this point. Kyle Shanahan, another one as, a, as an OC. So he's been on the stage before. And like Kyle Shanahan with two weeks to prepare kind of scares me. But the Chiefs defense with two weeks to prepare also would scare me if I was on the other side of that. So I think that's a huge going to be a huge battle on this one is like who gets the upper hand in that uh can the chiefs find a way to stall out the 49ers offense you know i, was, I would say like force brock Purdy to make some plays but he made a bunch of plays today i don't think he's like this scrub that he's been made out to be i don't think he's elite either but he can clearly escape from pressure and make some throws downfield who was the defensive coordinator when the Giants beat the Patriots when they were undefeated and had the greatest offense of all time. Was it Spags? Steve Spagnola. So I'm not too worried about uh, old Spags figuring it out. Yeah. And like what the Niners are probably worst at is run defense. And if you've got the best quarterback in the world, you know, you would rather lean on him than the run game. So I'll, I'll be curious when Andy Reid's patience is tested, can he stick with Isaiah Pacheco if that's what's working? I was – this is crazy how kind of predictable Andy Reid is in some ways. When the Chiefs were humming in the first half today, uh, they weren't quite in the red zone, but they were just outside, maybe on like the 25 or 30. And right before they break the huddle, I – Tell my wife, I was like, don't get cute. Like, you've had two really good drives. Just finish this one. And sure enough, we go Wildcat with Pacheco taking the snap. And it's like, he, he can't help himself. He's got to give the ball to McCall Hardman on a reverse. We've got to go Wildcat. We've got to have everybody doing 360s coming out of the huddle. We have to do a fake shovel pass here, jump pass there. And so I don't trust Andy Reid, in, in, which is weird to say because he's got multiple Super Bowl titles. But I can just see the 49ers like earning a really solid drive against a good 49ers defense and then just choking it away. I really hope he doesn't do that, but it seems like he can't help himself. I think this is just your emotional hedging, uh, getting ahead of yourself. Of course, we have two weeks to discuss the Super Bowl. Uh, we'll do it more in the mailbag. Lots of mailbag questions already. Uh, the mailbag flowing with uh request to get Cyclone Larry on the pod. So maybe we can figure that out in the future. He won't do it. He doesn't do interviews. Yeah. 
Maybe we can interview him and then write up the interview. Interview him off air and then write it up. Like uh like they do in GQ. I'll try again. Maybe third time's a charm, but he's he's ghosted us before. All right. Uh, any final thoughts otherwise? We didn't have a trivia bit yet, so I'll throw one in. Chance okay. McMillan scored 27 points off the bench against Oklahoma, which is the most in the play index era, which goes back to 2010. He surpassed two Texas Tech players that scored 25 off the bench. Do you have any guesses who they are? Uh, Davide Moretti? No. Nope. Is it in this kind of tubby, post-tubby era? It is early 2010s, mid-2010s, so, yeah. Mid-2010s. Can you reform the question? Yeah, so Chance McMillan's 27 points are the most by a Texas Tech player coming off a bench since at least 2010. Two bench players had scored 25 points in a game. Do you have any idea who they were? Mid, mid 2010s, so like 2015 ish. Yep, around that era. Um, Justin Gray. Close to the to the era, one of them was a sharpshooter. Uh, oh, Dusty Hannes. That is one oh, of them. Yep, I was getting there. I was gonna say the Vol Vol. Uh, oh, what's his name? Sort of the V. Dusty Hannes, Arkansas legend. And then Aaron Ross is the Aaron other one. Ross. I I was thinking about him, but I was like, I don't think he ever went for 25. But he had a couple games where he like he went off from three, so that kind of makes sense. With that flat-footed no jump jump shot. Awesome. Aaron Ross, what a name. Is that 16, Aaron Ross or 15? 16, and then Dusty Hanna's 2014 against uh, West Virginia in Morgantown went 7-7 seven seven from deep. Wow. Did they win? No. <laughs> Fair. Uh, all right, final thoughts, Kyle? I've got a Dusty Hanna story, if we've got time. Plenty of time. This, this was Tubby era. Yeah, he didn't stay for the Beard era, so... We had beaten somebody. It must have been either – it's probably Oklahoma State when they were ranked. It might have been the Marcus Smart game. And we stormed the court. And uh, I ran into ran into Tubby Smith and, like, got to shake his hand. He looked like a deer in headlights as we were storming the court. And then in the mosh pit when we were, like, doing the fight song, I was right next to Dusty Hannah's. And he was, like, telling people around him to, like, pick him up, like, put him on their shoulders. <laughs> And we, like, couldn't do it. It was too crowded. He was too heavy for the people that were around. And so we did this, like, really failed. Like, we tried to pick up Dusty Hannah's on the court and couldn't get it done. So it was kind of awkward. Oh, man. And my final thought on the Super Bowl, which we have two weeks to discuss, but I'm just going to plant this seed in the mind of those rooting for Patrick Mahomes. I think he's clearly on a trajectory where we're going to have to have some serious – legacy conversations. 
I think if he retired like tomorrow, he's probably number two all time. Probably. I think there's a debate. If he plays out his career, I think number two is the floor. But to catch Brady or do something at least worthy of being in a conversation with Brady. I don't know if people realize this. And if you saw this in the Discord, don't answer. But I'll I'll ask the trivia question now. How old was Tom Brady when he got his fourth Super Bowl ring? I did see the step. I did not, but I'll guess 31. He was 37. They won three out of the gates, I think, his first four years as a starter. And I think it was 04 to 14. They had a decade, quote-unquote, drought. They, I mean, they had the 07 season, the 11 season, where they made it and didn't win. Um, and then that drought was bookended by two Super Bowls in 04 and 14. But he was 37 when he won his fourth. All that to say, Mahomes one game away now from getting number three, and he's 28 years old. They would give him, if he wins in two weeks, it would give him nine years to get his fourth at an age earlier than Tom Brady. Now, the obvious caveat to that is most guys don't continue to win, you know, four more Super Bowls after age 37. So it'd be nice if he sort of got ahead of the curve there. But even if he only won one more before age 37, it wouldn't be till his age 37 season if he didn't have his fourth by then, that he would be, quote-unquote, behind Brady. To give Mahomes his third ring and then nine years to just kind of screw around, and if he wins one, great. If not, he's not behind the pace. That's a little bit crazy, and that's like, okay, we're in the territory. Like, if he wins one or two in this nine-year stretch, and mind you, he would have just won his third in a five-year stretch, uh, we're setting up for something pretty special here, and – Big if, it was big if if they won in Baltimore, big if if they won in Buffalo. None of that is guaranteed, so I'd certainly not like counting that as a win before the game is played. But, man, this Chiefs team on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, whenever it was, when I was watching them lose to the Raiders and an interim head coach at home, I was like, we're toast. Like, we're playing away from Arrowhead during the playoffs. This is going to be his worst season as a Chief. Like, this sucks. And then – they win the division. They win a home game. They yep. win two games on the road. And is one win away from like, okay, he's ahead of the curve on this legacy conversation, this GOAT conversation uh, for the next nine years. Stanos. It's inevitable. One of my favorite tweets about Patrick Mahomes the second, sorry in advance, Cowboys fans, was during the – it was Dak's rookie year, and Rodgers made that throw roll into his left, just hurls it down the sideline. Amazing throw. Like, yeah. the kind of throw that nobody else in the league can make. Yeah, we get it. Mahomes had not been drafted yet, so he wasn't in the league yet. Otherwise, I'd say there's two guys in the league that could have made that throw. Maybe Matt Stafford. Maybe three. But Patrick Mahomes Sr., he tweeted, there's two motherfuckers in the world that can make that throw, and my son's one of them. And that was before he played it down in the NFL. And uh man, I think he I think he knew before just about anybody else how special his son was. And he wanted his son to play baseball. He thought he was better at baseball. Yeah. And here he is knocking on the doorstep of some goat conversations in a totally different sport. Wild. 
Did you see somebody asked Patrick Mahomes Sr. if he was sitting with Brittany and Taylor in the suite? No, he I said, didn't I, see that. He said, I hope not. Guy's <laughs> 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 uh, hilarious. All right. That's all I got. Same here. Money, you got anything else? Hey, I'll, one more thought. Stay yeah. strong next time, BYU. Do the horns down if you want, okay? There's there's so much real estate in between giving the other team ice cream and doing something inappropriate. Nobody's going to think you're trash or your classes if you say horns down. Like That's like apologizing that one of your players missed a three and said, gosh, darn, I mean, weak. And they, and they won't have – here's the bad – they won't have a chance to redeem themselves. They're never going to host Texas again in that arena. That was their one shot to let their students say and do horns down, and they took it away from them. Now they handed them the L, which is you know the most important thing. But stay strong next time. That, that's weak. Hey, did you see Jim Harbaugh's quote about Justin Herbert? No, what did he say? He said he was starstruck when he met Justin Herbert. Interesting. I wonder what his thoughts were. He was starstruck when he saw Herbert. I wonder what his reaction was to seeing their cap situation. I would love to be a Madden GM for the Chargers and absolutely decimate that roster around Justin Herbert. Just and rebuild it. Blow it up. You have to. Like keep one guy Herbert on that roster. And yeah. uh, may- maybe Joey Bosa. I'm trading Cleo Mack. I'm trading Joey Bosa. I'm trading Keenan Allen. Get rid of everybody. You can still maybe get a little something for Quentin Johnston. Yeah. You just spent a first on him a year ago. Like, I don't yeah, know. Drop. Cut your losses. Trade him for a second. Somebody, the, the Chiefs will do it. Yeah. They who, did it with Kadarius Tony. <laughs> who ring chases with the Chiefs next year? Do what? Who ring chases with the Chiefs next year? OBJ? Jason Kelsey? AJ Brown? AJ Brown would be fun. Mike Evans? Where's, where's Jason Kelsey playing? Well, he's allegedly retiring. I know. No, I'm saying. If he's on the Chiefs, where he's backup. Oh, we'd have we'd you'd keep Creed at center, and then you'd have two All Pro guards, I guess. You already do. You'd have two better All Pro guards. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if any of them can play tackle. Probably not. Move Trey Smith out. Yeah, I, I, I know you're replacing both tackles. Again. Make it work or or depth. If he if he doesn't have what it takes to play seventy snaps a game, then yeah. make him the sixth man. He can play any of the interior three spots. Hell yeah! I wonder All if right. he would do it. Probably not. Um, subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash gambling gauchos. We've got families to feed. It's $5 a month. Help us out here. And uh, the Wednesday night episode, I think we'll go Wednesday, will be a TCU recap, other shenanigans, the mailbag, and that'll be exclusively for our Patreon subscribers. So hit us up. That's all I got. I'll, I'll shut up now. But the, uh, the starstruck quote, I wanted to make sure we got that in there after all the Justin Herbert discourse last episode. We'll also discuss on Wednesday the Kyle curse, which I think is become increasingly alarming. I don't think so. I don't think there's a Kyle curse. Are we going to have the Robert Jennings game? And then he had his worst half, uh, first half as a as, as a Red Raider this season. He played a lot and we won. All right. We'll talk about it Wednesday. I cursed us by getting us a road win over number 11. Yep. Okay. That's a good curse then. Ain't no curses. You gonna say it or am I?
Go for it. Love y'all.